Well, hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting to you right here on the radio every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Saga 960 AM and on the Coastal Carolina Network. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, coming to you from the Jesus Chalet in the uh, middle of uh, the Austrian countryside. And I'm joined by my uh, colleague, David Clement, who's there in Toronto. David, how goes it? Oh, it's going well. Frantically uh, piecing together a first birthday for my daughter. And wow, a lot goes, a lot more goes into that than one would think for such a tiny human. Your tiny human will not remember this day, but you will remember no. the stress that it caused you leading up to it. <laughs> yeah. And everyone there will remember and there'll be good pictures. So that's, that is, uh, that makes it all worth it. You know? Uh, yeah, I've, um, we lived through many of these and um, bought some very expensive cupcakes and uh, decorations oh, and and things I don't even remember where they are. So, <laughs> y'all got this at Goodwill? Is there a Goodwill where I just pick up all the first birthday stuff? Nope. Yeah, that would be great. Yes, it would Imagine be a great. It was market. just like a secondhand store for all of like the extra stuff that you need for a kid that you only use once. Oh, some of them exist online. I mean, we have them in Europe, so I assume they they exist somewhere in Canadian land, um, the American fifty first state. I th- yeah, I would I would assume there'd be something there. But you're you're totally right. And uh, the parents market, you know, is obviously a growing category. Uh, birth rate, not so much. Uh, so I don't know. It's the strange thing to where there's like parent culture is probably the biggest it's ever been. Um, which is a strange but thing to kids. say. Fewer kids, but dads are way more involved. So that like, yeah, you just saw the numbers, didn't you? Uh, yes, I did. And, yes. uh, talked about this with, uh, <laughs> we had a local dad meetup. No, we talked about this, uh, a little bit as well. It's just, you compare the last generation, how involved fathers were to today's generation. Mm-hmm. And that has reoriented economic relationships. It started new companies. Yeah. There's your consumer choice. Yeah. And so for, for folks who maybe don't know, um, <laughs> maybe don't know what we're talking about, the, the numbers on, I, I, I'm ballparking this, but let's say we go back 30 years, something like the vast majority of dads had never changed a diaper um, and spent very little time with their kids. And now the, uh, <sighs> Now the the numbers show that like three percent of dads have never changed a diaper, um, so virtually everyone is uh, involved, which I think is obviously a good thing. Man, I changed three uh, this morning, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, changing other times um, as it as it is, David. Uh, different stages of life. Have you been paying yeah. attention at all to this um, Hollywood strike? I don't remember if we talked about okay, that last week. So. We didn't talk about it. I, I don't – only surface level. I don't really understand what the – it has something to do with AI and being able to repurpose someone's likeness in perpetuity, or at least that's how it was framed to me. Um, do you know more about this? So it's – it's um, that is one facet of the negotiations. So this is the – uh, the Writers Guild of America and the Alliance mm-hmm. of Motion Picture and Television Producers. 
So they have a negotiating committee between them, and it's essentially all of the media that is in Hollywood. And it, it does include things like you know Prime Studios, Netflix, um, and then uh-huh. all the legacy Hollywood stuff. Uh, so this is just about the, the grand contract, you could call it. And um, the grand contract sets the rates and the minimums that people should be paid. For instance, mm-hmm. your residuals. You know, you were on an episode of Seinfeld. You know, you had a two-minute whatever uh, for the next, you know, however long it runs on syndicated TV, you get, you know, whatever, 0.2% of whatever money is made. So it's it's mm-hmm. these kind of deals that are structured, and they're structured for the industry as a whole because uh, Hollywood is a very unionized town, and mm-hmm. many different places require you to have union membership in order to be on set in any way, to have any role. Like if, you, if you're holding the microphone or you're uh, actually on the uh, TV screen or at, behind the camera. So it's essentially rewriting all of that. And this is uh, the longest strike that they've ever had. So it's over 100 days. I think it's like 110 days now. And it relates to also the television shows and how much writers get paid. It's not to say that everybody gets paid the same rate. It's just that there are these industry minimums, which are set not necessarily by the market, but by the unions themselves. So it's the producers and it's the writers and actors that kind of are able to negotiate for this stuff. So it's not as dramatic, I thought, mm-hmm. as the last time that this happened. And, you know, you had all the comedy shows that were doing it without writers and, you know, things were on rerun. <laughs> but it is they're doing that a little bit. Uh, and there have been a yeah. number of my favorite television shows that have uh, been delayed <laughs> because of this strike. Yeah. So you guys get it together. Uh, but the AI point you mentioned is something that was brought up into the uh, agreement and basically the Directors Guild and the producers, you know, who are all together, they said that based, there will be a deal that will increase the amount of money that could be, get, could be gotten from an AI likeness type arrangement. Now, this yeah. stuff isn't really sketched out because we don't really know what it means. So it sounds I like mean, they're, they're more like... How does anybody know? Yeah, they're... And, the, they're they're acting like Congress, like the technology is yeah. evolving right now, and they already want to write the rules. <laughs> well, yeah, you'd be making the rules today for something that is could, will be radically different in like three months from now. And do yeah. you well, like we, that's the problem with the rapidly shifting and changing technology is how good will it get? I, I definitely agree in terms of getting paid for your likeness. Like if somebody was ripping off a yeah, yeah, Lasowski, and then turning you into a whatever role and then repurposing your appearance in that into other programs or what have you. Yeah, you should definitely, like... Yeah, I'd be selling Doritos or some stupid crypto coin in the future. Yeah. (laughs) There's definitely a a claim to be made there. Um, I just think it's difficult. And I also think that, like, on the royalty side, I think that era is probably declining just because of the prominence of streaming, which isn't advertising revenue based where you can get a cut of the not yet ad money associated with views. And so in this subscription model like prime or Netflix or Apple with no ads, you, it's hard. Like, 
I, I think back to the friends royalties and how they would get paid so much money per year uh, after friends had aired on the royalties, but they were getting the royalties because people still wanted to watch friends and networks, TV networks were buying the rights to air it. And then the actors were making their cut on the advertising money when that aired based on views. It doesn't work that way in streaming anymore. And so it feels like a bit of a foundational shift where I see a lot of actors complaining about royalties. Well, I only get X for whatever, but there's no revenue stream in the streaming model um, where that would necessarily increase. Like you're stuck kind of on flat fees um, rather than something that if you are part of something that is immensely popular, it's kind of your ticket forever. That just doesn't exist in the emerging model of Netflix and Prime, at least to my understanding. I could well, be wrong. I don't the- yeah, the lower level is that, you know, a lot of shows are packaged and resold to other streaming networks. So then they do yeah. get a share of like that subscriber base. But, you know, it's not a in perpetuity, you know, they put the Big Bang Theory in Argentina. <laughs> you know, uh, they just started it last year and they go through, I don't know what, eight seasons and these actors still make a bunch of money. Uh, it's definitely mm-hmm. true. And yeah, you definitely need to have different contracts um, or I don't know, everybody do a Patreon for a movie. I don't know. I, I don't have the answer. Um, definitely, there's no government answer. It's in negotiation, so we'll, we'll see what yeah. happens. It, it does impact, well, though, all the stuff that you want to watch because everything's being delayed like crazy. Here's, an, here's a political question for you because there's been a push, I forget the organization, for the FEC, yes, Federal Election Commission, to regulate the use of AI and deep fakes in political ads, yeah. basically to prevent campaign ads from going national that have someone saying something they didn't say or doing something they didn't do. Um, what's your take on that? I think I have, I think I have where I stand, but well, again, deception and misleading claims and any advertising is already illegal. Um, mm-hmm. and that is, you know, can be immediately routed out by the federal trade commission. So we already have laws against that stuff. Uh, I think people just want to, like, drill it down and be very specific. Yeah. I can see that. Uh, I mean, I remember covering elections in Florida, and we hear this all the time. It was not as – Twitter was not as big back then. But you mm-hmm. would have, you know, a blog post or a guy on Twitter that would be like, hey, they shut down the, you know, the voting booth here, or, oh, they moved voting data tomorrow. <laughs> you, know, you, you always have this that people are doing, and maybe there would be a text chain you know, I saw that or emails. There's a lot of emails back in the day. They'd be like, oh, actually, mm-hmm. Election Day is tomorrow. Um, you know, but that's the kind of stuff. And this is what I'm I, I find it very problematic when we take things that we are illegal and they're illegal in any context. But because it's a specific con- like, for in- instance, if you assault someone, that's a charge. If you assault someone who happens to be the bus driver, uh, it's, a, you know, a higher charge. I understand they're doing their duty, but, you know, we can create these categories for anything. You know, if you hit the caddy when you're at the golf course, that's like a higher penalty. Or, And that's what they're doing with these, yeah. a lot of these ads is deception, deep fakes, um, particularly if you're doing it in advertising to some ill-gotten end, is illegal. I don't think you need to have something new. 
probably an FEC would just need to have like an agency that supervises that stuff or hears complaints. Yeah. That's probably appropriate. Yeah, but it would be one of those. Th- yeah, I get it. But it, I guess it would be one of those things where like they would just mark all of Trump's as deep fakes and just cancel all of his advertising. Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> well, no. The flip side is that like once something goes out, if it goes out and then needs to be retracted, the damage is likely already done. Or it's Streisand effect and more people see it. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be the concern. Like, I mean, okay, here's a hypothetical video. So the Trump campaign or the DeSantis campaign is like runs a an ad about Joe Biden being too old and he falls a lot, and it's like a couple of the falls that he's had, but then like a bunch of like falls that he hasn't had included in there that yep. are like deep faked AI generated. Like, yeah, yeah, which I'm sure someone could make. Um, and you have them tripping in the garden or like you could, you could create, you could, you could take something that is like true, but then extend it with a lie to make it worse. Yeah. And then you're talking about a line of free speech. Um, I think there is a particular category, particularly of political speech that for a long time is it's unsure exactly what you're allowed to say and do. You know, that's what whole Citizens United was about, and that's why we have all these super PACs now. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer, and it is true. It'll get prickly. Uh, I mean, this is the thing is we're we're talking about this as if it's a new problem. You know, like people don't lie in campaign ads and, and haven't been doing so for, I don't know, 80 years or something like this. Uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely some some dishonesty there. But I, I do like that discussion about uh, sort of regulation and technology and figuring that out. Uh, we're going to try to get to the bottom of here for our second segment on Consumer Choice Radio. David will be back. I want to talk about some energy stuff because uh, I want to go back to this um, some things in, um, oh, the province of Ontario. And uh, apparently the nuclear renaissance is upon us. Uh, so I do want to talk about that a little bit and uh, get your take on what's happening in uh, the grand uh, metropolis of Toronto and beyond. So you guys keep listening here to Consumer Choice Radio. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. We are here. Uh, David Clement is over there in Toronto. I'm Niall Lasoski. Uh, coming here from the studio on Saga 960 AM in the Coastal Carolina Network. David, I uh, did a little bit of a tease in the beginning there uh, talking about Ontario energy. And I was reminded of this because I was going through my um, normal Substack subscriptions, which um, at this point has taken me like a couple of hours to go through because I have way too many. Uh, it's, I tell you, I'm obsessed. And there's a great article that was done by Doomberg. And Doomberg is a anonymous financial blog, Substack, that is a green chicken. Uh, don't be... <laughs> <laughs> Don't be put off just yet, but it's it's a bunch of finance guys, you know, that used to be investors in the energy space and uh, just kind of put together a financial research outlet. 
and they have this amazing substack. They have great analysis. And they had one that was specifically about Ontario and green energy. Um, I'll let you give the further context. Uh, but the piece itself is called Cheat Codes, and it just talks about how much further along Ontario is because they've kind of shed this whole green energy spiel and went ahead full steam with mm-hmm. nuclear. And we're already seeing you know, many plans for these micro-nuclear things. It's just creating a blueprint for much of the liberal democratic world. Uh, and it's right there in your backyard. So uh, if you were t- to talk about the... Yeah, it's a significant... Yeah, if you were to talk about the green energy plan and why that sig- failed, <laughs> that'd be helpful. Yeah. So, I mean, that was under the old liberal government, um, big on wind and solar. It ended up costing a lot of money. Um, we ended up selling a lot of the extra energy when it did exist to like upstate New York at a loss. Um which is obvious, like that selling energy at a loss, selling renewable energy at a loss is makes really makes you scratch your head. Um, and so the the pivot here to embrace or enhance nuclear is obviously certainly welcome for me. Um, it's just funny because there's this ongoing kerfuffle in Canada because the federal government has just released some of the draft regulations on they want the energy grid mm-hmm. to be net zero by 2035 and you're only allowed to use fossil fuels as like emergency backup and that is not a sustainable we're never we're not going to get there by 2035 unless you embrace nuclear energy you're not going to get there with wind solar geothermal, et cetera, um, tidal or however, what other, other means of, of renewable energy. It's just not going to happen. Um, not in the reliable, consistent way in which Canadians are used to, um, which may just sound like, oh, a first world problem. But in many places, it then becomes a matter of, of life and death. If you're in Edmonton and it's minus 35 out, um, not having enough power to heat the home or having like you can't have California brownouts in Alberta in the winter. Um, And on the flip side, you can't have California brownouts in the greater Toronto area in the summer. Uh, I mean, something like that happened in, I think in BC, they reported something like in the last, they call it the heat dome. I don't know the specifics of what a heat dome is, but some 600 people died in BC because they didn't have air conditioning. So the province is rolling out like an air conditioning plan for people who don't have the means to buy them um, so that people don't die, understandably. But if you don't have the reliable power grid to power it, it, all of that really doesn't matter. Um, So it would appear that Ontario is kind of one bucking the trend, but two also getting ahead of the the regulations in that way by embracing nuclear, which is certainly a positive. Um, good news for a Ford government that is in the middle of a bunch. Yeah, of Yeah, I think news. with um, 
it mentions it in the piece here by Doomberg, but you have the, your your Bruce nuclear generating station, which is um I don't know what you what do you call the top mm-hmm. of the aisle there, the top of uh the top of Ontario that uh, <laughs> near the river, bro. I don't know. Yeah, Gray, okay, it's yeah, Gray Bruce up there County. in that that zone. Uh, but the, it's apparently the largest yeah. nuclear uh, facility in the world, right there, and they're planning to expand it even more. And that is, like, amazing Mm -hmm. and great. And then on the federal level, you have this complete lunacy of delusion that the economy is going to run on Chinese solar panels. Um, And even wind, um, the state in the U.S. with the most wind power is Minnesota, Minnesota nuts. uh, It's about 25% of their needs. Uh, But these things are powered mostly in the evenings by natural gas as well <laughs> to get, to get them going, you know, cause they, yeah. they will, it's like vitamin B12 for older presidents. It keeps them going and just a little they boost. Just need that little debate. boost. And you know, you're not going to have this, 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 is this even in the purview of what the federal government is supposed to do in Canada? I mean, that's a good question. I think it's a little murky. It's not as like the because the energy is mostly like, the well, crown no. corps, you know, that that have all of that, mm-hmm. and you know, you had a nationalization of energy, particularly in Quebec and some of these areas, to where it really is a provincial domain, and they're the ones who are actually doing the power, but the federal government is just setting all these very unrealistic standards and uh, levels that they're supposed to meet. I, I think these people are out to lunch. I don't use the term the um, what do you call them the Laurentian elite very often, but it really does sound like much of the energy policy in Canada right now is being run by the Laurentian elite, who have no connection to oil sands, no connection well, to nuclear, no connection to to even hydro. But the trend holds true for wind anyway. It's not just fossil fuels, and so. If I'm stereotyping, you're greater Toronto area folk, uh, of which I am one of them. Um, we'll talk about being all in on wind. Well, the turbines aren't going in, in our neck of the woods. They're going up north, ironically, in Grey Bruce County. Um, and the people yeah. there hate them. You see, you drive by and you see signs saying tear down the windmills. Um, and I think, I mean, some of it is probably a little bit of nimbyism. They just don't like them. Then there are issues with sound and, and vibration and things like that. I don't know the specifics or the validity of it. I just know that it's a complaint that is heard often. And so, again, you you have one group of people advocating for a certain type of energy that isn't going to be built in their neck of the woods. And that creates a really weird dynamic of like, oh yeah, we're going all in on wind and all in on solar. And it's like, okay, well, where's that going? That's going up north. Uh, And when I say up north, I don't mean really actually that far up north. It's like an hour and a half north of Toronto, Um, but very rural farmland agricultural communities. And so, it's not just we're imposing this version of, of energy production. We're imposing it, and it's got to be built there. 
It's not going to be built in Ottawa. It's not going to be built in Toronto or Oakville or Burlington or whatever. And to the, add to that, um, yeah, the, the transmission that costs, meaning like the, the energy that you actually lose in transport, is also huge. And uh, I was somehow I got down the rabbit hole of wind energy Twitter. <laughs> And um, oh boy, I because you know somebody was saying something and like oh it's so great you know we're at peak wind energy whatever and I was I I was actually driving through the countryside here in Austria recently and uh, we have many different wind turbines everywhere and it was like you know windy day pretty windy and I noticed that like none of them were working it's the windiest time none of them were working so I just kind of posited that question you know it's just an anecdotal thing and they said well it's actually a bell curve. And uh, the bell curve states that if it's too windy, it can't generate. So it has to be the Goldilocks zone of amount of wind in order for it to run, which I don't – that's like oh. – inter- <laughs> Well, I mean one would assume that like high winds is like, oh, yeah, we're just getting a no, ton of free energy. No, when it's too fast, they actually stop them. They put the brake on because oh. uh, apparently, yeah, it's not stable enough and it, it could – too top heavy. Oh man! <laughs> and so I can only imagine out in the ocean. How I mean, that's like things. solar panels. That's like solar panels failing if it's too Basically. sunny. And this is why it's great if it powers a neighborhood or you know the local the lights at the soccer Perhaps. field or something like that, but not for a grid. And uh, you know, on solar, I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about solar, just from like an astrophysics and like chemistry and everything physics because mm-hmm. we always have sun energy you know it definitely burns your skin when you go out too long and the problem that we have is just yeah. the the industry that we have is just reliant upon minerals and everything from china who have held that energy hostage they flooded mm-hmm. the market they kind of subsidize everything so nothing is competitive and it's just not sustainable at this moment and at the same time they're trying to electrify absolutely everything the grids so, an increase yeah, in demand. I, mean, for I think energy. there's there's a lot of questions about EV cars, and you know how how do we get more people buying battery cars and subsidies? But if we don't have enough electricity, <laughs> if, if like even half the people were to switch, uh, that can't be a viable. There, there have to be these people in these deciding rooms talking about this, not just on Consumer Choice Radio. No, yeah, there 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 has to be. I mean. This kind of goes to the disconnect in Ottawa because when the, the carbon tax is it is becoming increasingly unpopular in eastern Canada, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, PEI, etc. And um, basically Freeland was asked, like, a lot of people are really struggling. Like, I think the question was on, on PEI, there is really no alternative than driving. Uh, whether you're a resident or a tourist now it's a small small province <laughs> so driving is limited but there, there's no subway. It's the perfect autonomous uh, driving there's uh, very little zone, by the way then yeah and freeland's was, response was about how she lives in toronto and she doesn't take the car and she takes the subway and her kids walk to school and all of this and okay. it just represented like a really ugly disconnect between what life looks like for a cabinet minister living downtown Toronto and what someone in Prince Edward Island has to deal with. And you could just see like 
you could feel the tension <laughs> in in the room where everyone was like, "Did she mean to say that her solution is people just live in Toronto?" We'll give her a pass. She had to cancel <laughs> Disney Plus. Times are hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, we we talk about this a lot, but it just make it does make you wonder, like, because. These ministers are, they pay people to give them advice. And if someone is actually, if it, maybe she just, it was a gaffe, but there are lots of them. And it's like, if, if she's paying someone for that advice, please fire them now. I mean, you, you notice like, that in your own friend now. circles, you know, if you say something that's a bit off-putting or, you know, it's like, uh, oh, I don't understand why everybody's having kids. You know, kids are dirty and doing this. And, like, everyone around you is a parent. Like, people moderate themselves a little bit according to their crowd. But here it just seems that, they're, yeah, I One just think assume. they're pretty disconnected, have no idea. Uh, it's the Laurentian elite once more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just live – If you, I guess if you just live – you live too much in uh, in your bubble. You just fail to well, see. Well, where how did Freeland live before living. Toronto? London, um, UK. <laughs> so she, she's only been a metropolis yeah, gal. Yeah, and uh, you know wants to shut down your bank account. Well, and a, and a very successful one at that. And I don't hold that against her for for having an incredible career before politics and obviously being what we would consider probably wealthy. Um, she's she's earned it, but that doesn't excuse the ignorance of realizing. I mean, it just makes you. This is where I think the bubble. Really hold it, hold, hold that thought, itself. David. I want that bubble um, for our our next uh, spot here, Consumer Choice Radio. Keep listening. We'll be right back after this. And we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio. We're talking about the Laurentian elite. Uh, David, we're talking about bubbles, about uh, politicians who come from uh, urban areas that are fairly affluent and are attempting to construct policy to represent all of people all of the time. Uh, but it seems that there is a, a big disconnect. You had mentioned that there is a bubble. Yeah. So on that note, it's – do you not have friends and or family – who don't have the same, uh, uh, who are of the same, let's say, socioeconomic status. That is really, and are, do you see them and hang out to, with them and talk to them? If you uh, don't. I've got, I've got chickens outside, David, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the thing. It's like, if you don't, like, is no one in your circle, uh, family, friends, acquaintances, etc., making a modest income in a working class job, for example. I mean, if the answer to that question is no, then you need, you should probably be paying people to figure that out for you. Um, in the same way that on a cultural level, the political parties in Canada do a particularly good job of understanding norms and expectations and word choice and things like that with, let's say, dealing with religious minorities or cultural minorities. They may not be, let's say, a Muslim, but they will have someone who will give them advice on how to talk to the Muslim community in a way that isn't going to 
commit a bunch of faux pas. And yet for some reason, outside of those religious, ethnic, uh, or cultural kind of segments, there's just this complete, like, glazing over of the eyes, like, I don't even know that these people exist. And oh, I, lo- I love your point there, because like the, the Canadian federal politician will very willingly wear the red dot and do the dance, uh, but not too often go to the, uh, you know, oil town or, uh, you know, blue collar neighborhood in New Brunswick or something to, yeah. to do their press conference. I mean, it's, it's funny because like it's one of the things I know we, we gripe about Biden a lot, but Biden had a long career of like union halls and rolling his sleeves up and talking to working class people. And like, he wasn't out of place. He wasn't completely disconnected from like the people who worked in a coal mine and whether it was for show or not, he was there and wasn't out of place. And yet you have a bunch of federal ministers whom when even poked a little bit on some of this stuff, can you can tell they're just completely out of their element. It's like they yeah. they haven't spoken to somebody who's made less than eighty five thousand dollars in like five six years. <laughs> well, not that I'm going to uh, censor all this praise of Joe Biden, but I do have a pivot. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're in the third segment here on Consumer Choice Radio, and uh, it's been a successful run. Had a great number of podcasts. Uh, we've been doing them through the summer. You know, a lot of people are out on vacation and stuff. We've we've had content up every week for people to listen to, and you can subscribe to the podcast as well, ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. Um, so, David, what is the latest country to get into space? Uh, the latest or who's going to get to the moon first? The latest, uh, let's say the most recent launch into the space. most recent launch is the Russians. The Russians, hope, man. This they're hoping to uh, they're hoping to get to the moon. Uh, Don't talk at, to somebody who's got wire newswire access because I can't surprise no, you with any news anymore. <laughs> yeah, they're looking to get to the moon on August twenty third, which is the day that the Indians are expecting to get to the moon. I read that and I'm like, when did this Indian one take off? It, has it just been floating there, like on? <laughs> You know, low drive since last month. Like, why is it taking so long? It took Americans, you know, sixty years ago, four days to get to the moon. Yeah, that that one I don't know. Uh, <laughs> or the the studio set depends like on like over ask. twenty, <laughs> over twenty days for the Russian uh, craft to get to the moon. And it's you, there's no humans on board. I mean, maybe it's because no. they have minimal rockets; they don't have as much propulsion. Uh, which I guess I can get if, you know, I mean, also if your ruble is in the tank and you don't have much money, <laughs> yeah, I can get it. But uh, really interesting. And why is it they're going to the South Pole? Are they, is it the ice stuff that they found or? You mean the moon? They, or what did I say? The South Pole. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the South Pole of the moon. It's the South Pole of the moon. I'm not. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's not about, um, well, at least for the Russians. I think the Russian guy said, um Study of the moon is not the goal. This is a political competition. <laughs> oh, are you serious? Yeah. He's that's like, okay, that's it. <laughs> They're just flexing their muscles. That's it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, okay. But NASA is supposed to go around the moon 
2024 with a Canadian on board, the first Canadian to go around the moon. And then I think they're going to land people on the moon again shortly after that. And that's them building up to Mars. It's so, do you ever, you watched For All Mankind, right? Of course. That's all I'm thinking of. It kind of is feeling like the emergence of that, right? Russia is back on the world stage for all of the worst reasons. Um, you have the Chinese and, and India and the United States, and then you also have this private company with with SpaceX. It feels very much like um, for all mankind is playing out. And Just, China was China was China in the for all mankind at all? I don't remember. Yes, they were. Oh, what am I talking? No, it was North Korea. <laughs> well, they were too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that. This is what um, – and uh, Bill Nelson, who's the NASA's chief uh, former senator, uh, he was always a big NASA stan. I mean he was an mm-hmm. astronaut himself. Uh, so he said that if the Chinese get up there first, they're going to aim to claim it as their own. Yeah. So really they're going to do the for all mankind strategy and say this is ours. They're going to set up their uh, Jamestown haha base. And uh, they're going to try to conquer it. He says they're going to try to conquer it like the China South Sea. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know. I I don't. I'm more interested in what this means for minerals, energy, um, stuff to use in the future, whether on Earth or for those onward missions to Mars. That'd be really cool. I'd well, love I mean, for them to the find some new is, element, you know, or something. Yeah, and the question is, do you get to a point where you launch from the moon? rather than launching from Earth, because obviously it would be significantly easier, depending on the fuel source, to launch from the moon than have to take something that's like thousands of tons in weight and clear the atmosphere to get to Mars. Yeah. Well, depend. If it's like that movie, um, I don't know, I forget what it's called there, Moon, moon Shadow or whatever, they get up there and it's a, it's like a hollow middle of the moon and it's oh, an yeah, yeah. alien or <laughs> <laughs> uh, you never know uh, what's going on up there and uh, this is all interesting but you're right it's the parallels of that pro- that show that's on um, Apple Plus Apple TV um, Apple now I don't have a clip sorry uh, but to see that space race going on and I really assume Russia was broke I don't know exactly what's going on I think it's because the Europeans are still we're all still basically buying Russian gas and oil. It's just being handled by the Indians. And you're so the Russians are so they're still making money hand over yeah. fist. I don't know if you saw that one. And uranium. A new report came out that the EU and the US have spent like one point five billion dollars on uh nuclear compounds from Russia. Hmm. Well, that might have been the mostly the French, because there aren't well, the French are at risk of losing their access to uranium in Niger because of the coup. Yeah, so it's all, um, I don't know, man, reading this Doomberg blog, it's really uh, kind of changed my vision on things. I feel like I'm an old um, university Marxist who talks yeah. about, like, the oil curse, yeah. oil resource stuff. Yeah. You know, if you ever had one of these guys in your classes, <laughs> I had a professor like this. It's like, it's all about oil, all right? Let's start with World War One, World War II. I'm like, you know, this half makes sense, but there's a lot of bad 
you know, there's a couple bad hombres that were involved in some of these wars too that you had to get <laughs> yeah. rid of. So <laughs> it's not just about that, uh, uh, dear professor. Uh, well, David, we got five minutes to go here on our our program. Um, hope you guys have been doing well um, on the Consumer Choice Center front. Um, had an article out in the USA Today mm-hmm. about uh, Amazon. We've talked about Amazon a good amount here on the program and uh, why the U.S. government is trying to uh, shut them down, close them out, break them off, do whatever they can. Um, what is the argument there? Um, Amazon's too big. They bully the vendors who use their platform, and uh, it makes it so that the mom-and-pops of the Internet commerce world cannot compete. Yeah, but don't they – Don't they? their cut for everything is, what, 20% or something like that? Yeah, um, it depends on the – if you opt into Prime, uh, if you opt into using Prime and the Prime delivery, I, I don't remember if the cut is higher or lower, but you can do all the shipping yourself mm-hmm. and you the pay eBay very model. minimal fees. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that, that includes warehousing, which is yeah. like that is the cost. We're talking land, storage, people picking orders – um, not to be know. a broken record, but Doomberg's last piece uh, was just about warehouse warehouse wars. They called it. <laughs> Man, it's a great block. I need to. Uh, yeah, it's mostly about containers and uh, shipping around the yeah. world, and uh, whoever has the most warehouses will win. And right now, China is um, kind of winner there. But yeah, they got it. They do got it, but they don't have the moon. Not, yeah. not yet, at least. Not yet, at least. Not yet. Uh, what else is on your radar? Anything? Because uh, you mentioned some of the turmoil in Canada it has to do with the green belt, right? Yeah, um, yeah. They, 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 uh, probably need generals. more time to go into that. We can go into that more next week. But yeah. if you could give a, a quick uh, preview, uh, rolling back the green belt. Yeah, so the green belt is protected land around the greater Toronto area. And they've opened some of it up for housing, which is was it which was a debate in and of itself. And now it's become increasingly clearer that the the winners in that process, the land they chose to uh, to develop, they have uncomfortable connections to the chief of staff of the minister who made the decision, and the order of events in terms of the when the decisions were made and where people tipped off. Um, is increasingly looking bad for the Ford government. Um, I think I would say so much so where you could be in favor, you could oppose, you could be in favor of ripping up the entire green belt and still look at this and go, "That's that's corruption." That's uh, it's kind of it, you just imagine that's how you got oligarchs in Russia. You know, you had all this state-owned stuff, and then they sold it off. From what I understood, I read Brian Lilly very quickly, and he said all this land was actually privately owned before. Is that right? Or just parts of it? I have no idea. Uh, yeah, but the order of events doesn't make – this is where it becomes a problem is <laughs> if you like if – you, if you buy something that's protected, so like Yael Sosky goes out and overpays for something that – can't be changed and then the law magically changes and you're one of the few who are selected uh, to benefit from that change 
And then it appears that like maybe envelopes were slipped and tips were given between different parties in that process. Then it becomes like, oh, okay, you knew in advance. The interacts were doled out. Yeah, yeah. you bought the land knowing that you were going to get picked and you overpaid for land that was essentially worthless and you knew that it was going to switch and you knew it was going to switch because you had an in. It's, I mean, it would it, just like an insider trading case is, is essentially mm. what what I think is is alleged here. What did he know and when did he know it? Yes, that's the, that is the question. All right. Well, let's hear about that more next week. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a couple more uh, stories about this. Uh, yeah, focus a lot on the energy stuff today, but um, we'll get to the, to the property and uh, consumer stuff next week. David, I bid you adieu from the uh, the countryside, yep. and uh, we'll chat next week. Okay, and talk to you soon.